You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 131, An American Tale, Fievel Goes West, Catterwall versus Ratigan. Howdy, y'all. We're here on the Rootness Tootness Animation Podcast ever. <laughs> anyway, um... Welcome, welcome, all foreigners and partners and pilgrims to the Animation <laughs> Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers. My name is Mason. I am your uh, super awesome host for today's episode. I'm here with Chelsea Robson. Hello. It doesn't look like I'm here, but I am. Well, it doesn't look like she is here, but her, her, lovely, her lovely headshot profile pic will be floating and talking to us. <laughs> Live. So Chelsea is is in South America right now with um, you know that dang South American Wi-Fi. So we want to save Good on times. bandwidth and, and avoid. <laughs> yeah, we want to we want to avoid the del- delays and lag and stuff. And um, she's just gonna go audio today. You will have to ex- uh, excuse our co-host Morgan Straddling, who is usually here, but she is not today. She's uh, bogged down with work and uh, she's she's needed elsewhere tonight, but. Luckily, Chelsea and I are literally experts on Five All Goes West, which is the animated film that we're discussing today. So we, yes, we know everything we about are. it. <laughs> Chelsea knows all the songs. And, I uh, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to have some live performances by Chelsea. So that'll hey, be kind of cool. We can throw that in at the end. Stick around, people. <gasps> <laughs> I love a good sing-along. Yeah, so Animation Addicts Podcast, is the, if this is the first time you've sat in with us and then welcome if you're a recurring listener or watcher then welcome back uh we are your we are like would it be safe to say we're like the greatest animation podcast ever like can we just say it by now the often imitated and often ridiculed (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) so anyway today we are reviewing the un-american tale t-a-y-l fievel goes west so I'm also we're also going to be on the chat uh, on YouTube and also rotoscopers.com slash live. We have a chat wing box, so be part of the discussion. I haven't seen this film in forever. I saw this film like when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> I barely, re- oh, barely remember. I, I, I remembered some things when I watched it this time. I was like, oh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no, this was another one of those movies that Chelsea watched over and over and over. <laughs> really? It was. I think it's just the whole the Western theme that was in my house. So I think that's probably one of the reasons. But I honestly really like, I dig this movie. Okay. All right. So this was like my first time really like consciously watching it as uh, an adult. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting watching it again after all these years. This is Amblimation. It's kind of it's complicated. First of all, this is not a Don Bluth film. American Tale was. Getting to America was Don Bluth. Getting to the West was not Don Bluth, right? Correct. So at this point in time, Don Bluth actually had... Um, there was problems with the budget originally. Don Bluth and his animation studio, Sullivan Bluth Studios, were originally going to make the film. But then with American Tale, they were like, okay, 
um, we need to have this this budget set aside. But Universal agreed, but said, actually, no, you're going to have to do it for the same amount of money that you did your other film for, American Tale, the original. And Don Bluth was like, um, I'm already doing something else that's like twice as much as that, or at least a couple million more than what that yeah. was. And so by doing that, I would have to lay off my people. And so I don't want to do that. So... Instead of doing this movie, he decided to do one of my absolute favorites, Rockadoodle. Woo! Rockadoodle. <laughs> well, well. Well, I mean, so that's that's where Don Bluth said uh, he took his his side and he went over there. Well, you know that leaves our good friend Mr. Steven Spielberg to this whole project, and he says, okay. So he takes a couple directors. One was a former Disney animator, Phil Niblink. And then another one is Simon Wells, who is actually the grandson of Mr. H.G. Wells. Oh, wow. Um, and so both of them went ahead and directed this. And both of them actually went on to later direct We're Back, a dinosaur story. You can check that out on Animation Addicts podcast as well. That uh, was a fun oh, one. Oh, yeah. We did a show <laughs> on that one. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good, I, it's a good show. It's a good show. <laughs> I... <laughs> I thought it yeah, um I thought it was pretty interesting watching it again. Oh, it's also worth mentioning that uh we have Steve Hickner as the associate producer of this yes. film. I have no idea what an associate producer does. I think it changes per studio per production. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was definitely involved in it, so shout out to old Steve Hickner who who we love and we are his biggest fans. True. And um you know, it was like it was like successful, but it wasn't that successful. I, I don't think it ended up making as much money as an American Tale. Fievel goes just west enough to get. Well, it new. was <laughs> considered a success at the time, just because it did make back its budget. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, the ironic part about it is that it was end up. Uh, being made for about $25 million, which was twice as much as Land Before Time. So that was the ironic part that Don Bluth did not direct this film just because of budgets. But anyway, that's all good. The thing is, like, it did come in with about $22 million on domestic uh, within the U.S., and then total worldwide was about $40 million. So it did make money, and so that's always a good thing. But and then there's the VHS market, you know? Yeah, and that's probably where I saw it because um, we definitely had the VHS. And that one, I'm sure, was a huge thing just because a lot of those films at the time, they were really hitting hard with VHS. Um, but here's a an interesting part about the whole situation was that the release date was November 22nd, 1991. Yeah, any animation addict who knows their stuff will know that that was the same day that Disney's Beauty and the Beast was released. So, yeah. <laughs> we had a little competition going. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. so November, 20, uh, November 22nd, 1991, Beauty and the Beast. Like, what else is there to say? It's Beauty and the Beast versus Five All Goes West. It would have been interesting if Don Bluth had, in fact, been the director or, like, the, had handled the animation for the film. That's not to say it would have had a completely different direction or a completely different like feel to it, but maybe just maybe with a little Don Bluth dazzle, it could have been a little bit a little more than it was, or <laughs> a, maybe a little more like American Tale, which was very dark and gritty and stuff. And it, it, that's not to say that Fievel uh, Goes West isn't doesn't have its like kind of dark themes to it, and we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's it, it's interesting. Um, but anyway, Beauty and the Beast. 
Beauty and the Beast. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> How, at that point in time, you really, I mean, looking back, obviously, all of us are like, um, yeah, you can't compete at, you know, the only um, animated film to ever be non- nominated for Best Picture all around. So yeah. that's It's got some weird pretty... connections to Beauty and the Beast, though. Really? Well, you got um, John Cleese. John Cleese, howdy, y'all. He, uh, well, he was the uh, the voice of Cat Erwal, the villain of the film. He actually turned down the 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 chance to voice Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast for this role. So I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but but that's all right. You know what? Uh, it's a I don't know if coin. I would have liked John Cleese. I don't know if I would have liked John Cleese as Cogsworth. Yeah, I don't think I would have. But then again, it's like I don't know if I would have. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I did also. I did also notice another interesting connection that it had was at the very end. It's got the dream to dream da 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 that song obligatory. Some sort of celebrity or pop singer has to sing one of the songs. Right. Of course. And so it was originally recorded by Miss Celine Dion. Oh. (laughs) Was very like nobody knew her at that time. One of her biggest things was when she went on to actually sing the theme for Beauty and the Beast. So they ended up. The producers ended up favoring. Linda Ronstadt, who sang the theme song of Somewhere Out There in the original American Tale over Miss Celine Dion. So I thought that was all sorts of weird stuff happening. It's really interesting because Steven Spielberg is such an iconic director of live action films. And this whole this whole era of amblimation was just so kind of kooky, you know, they were just kind of feeling things out, it seemed. and, And I felt like production or like producing wise, they made a lot of weird decisions like the whole Celine Dion thing, you know. I'll get behind that. I don't know. It's it's interesting because like a lot of their films never really resonated with me. Like I was never a kid who sat at home watching Amblimation films. I was strictly a Disney kid. Except when yeah. Shrek Cut came along and then DreamWorks started encroaching <laughs> on on old Disney and of course um, you know, Pixar, but my VHS adventures were always or view, you know, VHS viewings were always Disney and I don't I think we had Land Before Time, and and that was it. And and that that's Don Bluth, obviously not. Yeah, I not animation. I did both. Yeah. I did both. I was very so you, much. You were a true balanced a, animation addict of a Don Bluth, and I was just all around. I just really liked it all, and the fact that this one had some fun songs, I was pretty happy about. Yeah, so. it's, it, yeah, it's got fun songs. It's got a whole part mm-hmm. of it that's really fun. While we're on the subject of songs, the the song Dream to Dream. Uh, it was written by James Horner, who I absolutely love and adore, and may he rest oh, in yeah. peace. Oh my gosh, sad face all the day. Um, and it was also produced by David Foster, who can I just say is like amazing. Which I, I'm sure it was why Celine Dion was the original singer for it, because David Foster was the one who produced her as well. Like he's just yeah. a genius. He's done Michael Bublé and like a whole bunch of other people too. Um, Josh Groban. Yeah. So if you see David Foster's name on anything, you know, it's going to be good. Yeah. He's got a a ton of credits. Like I'm just browsing through his IMDb because I don't know anything about music, but yeah, cool. David Foster, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway. So I don't remember a lot of this film. You don't remember a lot of the, of the film prior to watching it or right now? Well, no, no, I don't remember anything about American tale. Actually. I think we did that within the last year and a half and I, I forgot all about it. It's like, what they're trying to get to America's like a ship, and there's like a thing, and then there's like cats, and then I all I remember is the lady who's like, "Release the secret weapon." 
and um, I forget what happens. But basically, they're in America, right? And, th- and they're supposed to be living the American dream, but but they're but they're not. They're like unsatisfied. Yeah, so they've they've lived the American dream as far as like they've come to America and they're living in New York and now they've seen things that aren't the way that they thought they should be. They've seen things, man. <laughs> and so uh at that point in time there's also a coup going on. The cats for some reason want to force them over west. So apparently that's the main reason for the manifest destiny while the cats are actually you know, terrorizing all the mice and they're like, Oh, let's go out West. Cause we out West. Da, 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 da. It's a good one. Yep, yep. <laughs> they, you know, they spent the whole time in, they spent a lot of the film, the first film saying there are no cats in America. Well, they were wrong. There, there <laughs> definitely are cats in America and they attack them like every day, apparently. Right. And also, it's really interesting. Can I just talk about my least favorite character in the film, and that is Papa Mouskowitz? <laughs> okay, why? He is the biggest. He is the biggest loser. The film opens up with him complaining, "What happened? We, America, was supposed to be the land of opportunity," and I'm like, "Get a new job!" Like, okay, <laughs> did you notice that? Did you notice that he um, he was a tailor in the first movie, and now he's a violin um, maker in this in this movie. And then he starts complaining that no one wants violins. Well, it's like, I don't know, man. Like, the basic tenets of capitalism, you got to find your... You got to find the people that are going to buy your product. Then you have to have a really good product. So, what he's not... He's not experiencing, like, betrayal by the American dream. He's experiencing the American dream. He just has to make the next step and and move on and make something else with his life. You know, people start (laughs) over all the time. So, I I wish that Papa Mouskowitz could have reinvented himself and and, and learned that that's all part of the process of, you know, producing your own wealth and being successful in America. But that's all right. He's a new new guy, you know, (laughs) and he he catches on to the fact that there's opportunity in the West, which there is, mostly in Texas, but also in the West. But, yeah, I am... He is so dim-witted. Like... It is so incredibly because this is this is very much a kids film. Let's let's get that let's get that straight first off. Like right. Mouseburgers, the fact that he's the fact that nobody gets killed, they just get disarmed in a very dramatic way. It's it's, <laughs> it's geared towards kids, and so it's painfully obvious what the cats want to do with the mice. But the whole time, Papa Maskovitz is like, "Oh no, we can trust these cats," you know, and it's like, "No, the the, the cats are going to make this mouse trap." Oh, you have a big imagination, Five. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. I, I've got this recording on my phone of the cats, <laughs> of the cats laying out their dastardly plan. Oh, well, I, I'm sure he means best. Maybe mouse burgers are a, a figure of speech. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking like. Why? Like yeah. Why are we talking from, from Transylvania? <laughs> Sorry, my Russian, my my Papa Mouskovitz voice isn't what it should be. I guess, but it's just so incredibly dim-witted. It's like, it's it's like at the end they make these bleachers that are basically half of a mousetrap, and they're sitting and staring in front of, in directly in front of them is the business end of a mousetrap. <laughs> And some guy's like, hey, Papa Mouskovitz, doesn't that look like a, doesn't it look like we're in a giant mousetrap? Oh, no. Oh, I trust these cats. They are not going to hurt us. With his violin. It, it's, God, Papa is so dense. 
I am so glad that Faisal was like, I'm out of here. But, uh, <laughs> but not really. He gets, uh, he gets kind of conned into falling off the train. But you got to hand it to him. They are resilient for living in the slums of New York City and dealing with cat attacks every day. And so naturally, they are going to, ex- they are going to seek after these tickets to go west. And that's where John Cleese's character, Cat Er Wall, get it, um, arrives on the scene. So many cat puns. <laughs> There's so many puns in this that just makes me actually really happy. <laughs> cat Er Wall. Um, yeah. The, T. Well, Archula. The... Come on. Which one? T. Archula. Tarantula. Ah, uh, yes. The, the dumb spider. Oh my gosh. Yes. Spider. Wiley Burp was actually my favorite. Who was Wiley supposed Burp. to be Wyatt Earp? Wyatt Earp, man. I uh, dang old James Stewart. Oh my gosh, James I love him. Stewart. He's so old. This he was so old when he did this film. This was his last film. This was his last film, and you could you could hear him, man. He's inches away from death. Lord bless and keep him. But oh, uh. But he did a great job, and I remember that iconic scene, that daydream that Fievel is having, which brings me to this this point that I wanted to make, is that this film is zany with its animation, Z-A-N-Y. Like, lots of, like, 3D effects without necessarily doing CG, coconut mm-hmm. gun, but <laughs> any, <laughs> any Donkey Kong fans in the house? Anyway, um, where, like, the camera, like, revolves and pans around the characters. And, and that one scene of, of Wiley Burp um, staring down all the cat uh, gang. And, um, oh, sorry, the autofocus on my camera is like, whoa, whoa. And um, it, the camera goes all the way around him. And you get yeah. to see all these angles and stuff. Like, it's pretty good. I don't know if I could do something I would like say that. so. It's hard for me well, the, to draw things that aren't when... like from a profile. <laughs> right. And well, the it. moment when um, when Fievel falls down, like jumps down and is like looking yeah. up. You're looking at Fievel at his angle, but then looking up toward Wiley Burp. Uh, I yeah. thought that was, I've always thought that was a really cool shot. Yeah, and um, of course, there's a lot of ho- help from like rotoscoped objects, like live action rotoscoped stuff, to kind of get the um, the layouts of the environments down. But uh, there's a lot of uh, scenes like when they're in the sewers and they're going on that kind of roller coaster ride and the camera is like right on them and following them down and stuff. Uh, pretty good. And then all that train stuff is really good. And then um, so many shots where they're, where they're just... Because mice, they're, they're 3D animals in the cartoon world. They climb on walls. They're up in the rafters. They're climbing through holes. And so the camera work and the animation work is really supports that. And uh, you got to give them props to that. It's not necessarily something that Disney didn't do. It was just, I don't know. It reminded me of Great Mouse Detective, maybe. Something like that in those action sequences. It's a, it's a cool thing to do in 2D animation where you can take the view of the camera to places that a normal video camera couldn't go to. And right. pulling that off in a 2D environment or in a 2D production, it, it, it takes talent and time. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, Cat R. Wall. Well... So there's that one part where you have the, like, he's the puppet mouse and he's coming in and he's like, y'all. <laughs> y'all. <laughs> I was That's like, right. I, I can have I a like, really deep appreciation for this y'all. <laughs> I, was watching, I was watching that and I was like, he ain't from the West. <laughs> you know? Oh, the Italian yeah, mouse he, is right uh, there. And he's like, oh, I'll take a 15. <laughs> it's a me. 
<laughs> so, Cat Arwal, he is the uh, quintessential wild, less, wild West twirly mustache gentleman villain. Yeah. And you know who he has a lot of similarities with? And I want to open this up to, the, to chat if there's even people still watching this. <laughs> who, who would win? Okay, first of all, I'll present who I think he's very similar to is Professor Rattigan from uh, The Great Mouse Detective. Hear me out. They both have like an army. They have like a gang surrounding them. And they, and they, they both seem to be smarter than everyone else in their gang. And they both have annoying, creepy henchmen. They have that one henchman. It's true. Who, who is beyond creepy. So you had Fidget, who was running around Back. with Radigan in The Great Mouse Detective. And now you've got Chula, who is the uh, spider dude with the horrible smile. Terrible teeth. Spiders don't even have teeth. Uh, who runs around with Cat R. Wall. And it's like, and they're both kind of dim-witted, you know, they're, but they're the muscle and they're the intimidation factor in the gang. So who would win in a fight? Like, if the two dastardly Ds decide to dastardly defeat each other, who would win? Who do you think has got the smarts, the brains, the, the gadgets, you know, mm. the resources to, to defeat the other person? And keep in mind that Cat R. Wall is a cat and Professor Radigan is a rat. This is true. You know, I think... That Radigan would still win. Radigan would still win. Okay, I want to hear your reasoning. Let's turn this into a uh, a mini mini nerdy couch discussion. So okay. just a tiny couch, just one <laughs> seat cushion each. <laughs> Sounds good. You um, get one. <laughs> so the reasons why I think that Radigan would still Mega win. Evolution Radigan. <laughs> the <laughs> reason why I think that he would still win would be because you look at Catarwal and all he does is he gets other people to do his deeds for him. For example, the reason why they don't go ahead and eat the mice in the first place is because that if they did that, then nobody would build their stuff for them. So in that way, he's the one that's just kind of like, he's getting everybody else. He's definitely the brain, not the brawn of this. And, um, I just don't feel like he has the, the inner monster inside of him. The inner monster. Actually, he's got a soft spot yes. for, um, for Tanya. He does. Right? He's got the soft spot for the diva. And for I think the diva. that I stop. You'll crush the diva. You'll crush the diva. <laughs> I love that line. I want to use it as much as I can. <laughs> Please do. Um, so I think, I think the reason why though, is like you look at, you look at our Mr. Radigan and you see that he, he does a lot of things on his own. He's smart enough to do everything on his own. And yet he still does have henchmen to do things for him, but he's also got that inner beast in him. Like okay. he goes all feral at the very end. And he's yeah, at, the, just at, the, at the end crazy. there, he evolves into Radicate and tries to do hyperfang <laughs> on everyone. Exactly. And is there, a, got, mega, is there mean, a mega evolution for Radicate? I don't know. Someone no, there's not. Oh, okay. as, a, as a, well, according to Pokemon Go, there's not. Well, Pokemon Go's only, only generation one. Let's see. Mega evolution Radicate. Raticate. That's what I call him because Spanish. There's a lot of, there's a YouTube video. What if it, what if there was a mega eradicate? That'd be so cool. Anyway, so <laughs> it seems to me like you're comparing the evil plans of the two villains. So Radigan, he wants to build a robot queen. Right. Um, use her for political power. Hijack the entire British mice government, critter government in Great Britain in the UK with a robot. 
And it's a very convincing robot. I mean, let's just put that out there. Meanwhile, Catterwall just wants to exploit the labor of these poor immigrants. And then he wants to kill them all in some mass genocide thing and make mouse burgers. <laughs> mouse burgers? That's so lame. Mouse what about burgers. mouse enchiladas, mouse tacos? Like, we're in the West, y'all. Y'all. <laughs> we're gone out West. <laughs> the spirit of the West. Oh, man. I should start making Rango references. <laughs> what you matter? Uh, I love Rango. We need to do a Rango Revisited episode. We need to go back and do another episode for Rango. Rango Part 2 because Mason still has stuff to say about it. Okay, so looking at the chat here, uh, we've got Esther who says um, Radigan. Radigan hands down. Radigan is actually trying to contain his inner monster and it is quite terrifying when it comes out. Radigan has a much bigger picture in mind. Usurping the queen to rule the British Empire is pretty cunning. Catterwall would get his eyes clawed out by Radigan. Radigan used Hyperfang. Super effective. Or it'd be a critical I'm, hit. No, I'm, no I'm, I'm pretty down with what she said. I, I believe that's exactly what would happen. He's got too much inner yeah. monster so that he like he just can't... He would just go crazy. Yeah, yeah. So what do we got? Uh, Jacob's 06, Turquoise Comet, Cassidy Wang. Pretty much everyone in the chat says hands down that Radigan would win. Plus, he is voice, voiced by Vincent Price. Yeah, the illustrious. Yeah, yeah. there's really no beating that. I mean, James Stewart yeah. is pretty cool, but he is not the one we're comparing him to. So, oh, I yeah. mean, as far you're as dirty. voice actors go. You're, you're a dirty rat, you. I love, I love James Stewart. I mean, this ain't no Mr. Kruger's Christmas, am I right? I mean, he's, he's an old dude in this one. It, so anyway, Catterwall. Okay, so I, the Roto Nation has decided that in a fight between Cat R. Wall and Professor Radigan. Plus, Radigan is such is such a cool name. Plus, he's a professor. Like, that's so mysterious. Like, how did he go from being a professor to an evil... It's true. Um, an evil guy. Was was Moriarty... Is Moriarty a professor? Is he an academic in the uh, um, Sherlock Holmes I war? have no idea. I don't know. Because I feel like Radigan is like the Moriarty of, of this. Of, right. Um, Rats Down Under. What's, what's it called? Um, the Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> Rats Down Under. <laughs> Rats Down Under. Anyway, who who's better though, Fidget or um, Chula? I like Chula's name Fidget. a little bit better because it sounds like Chola. <laughs> <laughs> Bring in Chola. Yeah, no, Fidget. I'm gonna say is definitely. Although I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. slit your throat. Eh. I'm just <laughs> See, the thing is, like, I don't, I don't really like to compare this movie to really anything because. Okay, okay, we won't... Like, it's just... Well, the thing is, like, I know it's going to lose, but I still like it. (laughs) So, you know what one of my favorite exchanges in this movie is? What's that? It's when when Tanya goes, Look, Mama, a singer and an actor. She's like, Tanya, stop that. You shouldn't stare at the people less fortunate than yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Preach, Mama. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I love it. Such truth. Uh, there's, there's a reason why everyone's pushing STEM. Uh, but anyway, if but we do have a we do have a singer on air today. So um, yes, no. And, then that's one of the other reasons why I I find this so funny. Because <laughs> you like, identify with so much. I identify so much. When Chelsea was picked up by a savage cat and put in a. <laughs> Put in a vaudeville music show, 
forced to be a hoochie mama. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man. I mean, that, that's just what all singers go, the girl you left they go through. I love this movie so much. Can we just skip to that? Can we just skip to that part of the movie? Because that is like my favorite part of the movie. For, <laughs> for some, for some reason, for, for some reason, the movie just is like, okay, forget about Fievel. Forget about whatever Tiger is doing for the whole movie. <laughs> and check this out. Like, it's awesome. Like, okay, for, okay, for one thing, got to look at all sides of the coin here, which two sides. So Cat Arwal <laughs> is a softie. Because he is going to kill Fievel and, and whatever, and he's going to kill the mice. But he spares one mouse. And he has a soft spot for Tanya because of her amazing voice. And what happened to her voice from the beginning of the film to this part of the film? Like, 30 minutes ago, people were throwing crap at her. Seeing maybe they'll throw more food. <laughs> <laughs> Papa's got the system down. No respect. When you're out in the frontier, I mean, they just, they dig that more. I'll just leave it at that. They do. Okay. So I uh, <laughs> I love it when a villain has a soft spot or has a weakness that wants to push them over to the good side, but they resist it. Like, I think that that is a, a very good treatment of how a villain can be interesting or appealing. Although there are really appealing and really interesting villains that aren't redeemable, but it's interesting to get that tiny glimpse of light, you know? What I don't like about the film and what's what's weak about American Tale 2 is that Catterwall doesn't do anything with his soft spot for Tanya. He doesn't rethink uh, his plan. He doesn't have a conflict of, like, conscience or anything. He doesn't have, like, an inner struggle. The only thing he really cares about is saving her so that they can be successful at their bar. You know? <laughs> You'll crush oh, hey. the diva! <laughs> you don't want to crush the talent there. But Catterwall does not have a heart. He uh, He's very much a... Um, exploiter he is very much an opportunist i don't like to say businessman because i hate it when i hate it how animated films are always bashing on businessmen and that's um, true as a wannabe entrepreneur myself uh i i am i am constantly being disappointed by hollywood and the animation industry's treatment of capitalism and capitalists but whatever i digress animation is also all about generalizing and all about stereotypes like right. let's be honest here so of course the bad guy is going to be this like businessman who's and don't get me wrong i don't agree with catterwall like like deceiving these poor immigrants and like making them labor <laughs> and then he's going to kill them all to like you know whatever of course i'm not in- endorsing that i just whatever but anyway i uh it's interesting he has a hot a soft spot but he he doesn't really do anything about it relative to the to the mice but Tanya's little transformation in this like little moment where she thinks that it's interesting because the movie could have really gone the jealousy route with Miss Kitty, but instead Miss Kitty actually turned out to be a really cool person. Oh yeah, Miss Kitty was awesome. Yeah, she's, she's cool. All, like she's she like been the, the mentor. One. She's the mentor, and she says that she's like, "Don't forget, honey, it's what's under the mask." Yeah, I love her accent; it's so great. A mouse. <laughs> She uh, she's kind of the mentor, like you said, and she kind of teaches her the ways and kind of gives her a pep talk, you know. Right. And then Tanya has her big moment, and all of a sudden, this mo- this movie that's all about a a young wannabe cowboy finding his family and and killing the bad guy, it just halts and it turns into this moment, this metamorphosis for Tanya, and and it the feels, man, the feels come out. Cause she nails it. And all those cats are under her spell. There's that. There's that shot where she's on the stage and they're like, ooh. You know, there's like fifty of them. You know, yeah. instantly entranced. 
And uh, <coughs> we'll find the girl. We'll find the girl. We'll find the girl tonight. 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 Is it all right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They love her. And then Five and, uh, comes up. Tanya, we gotta go. Five kind of ruins stay. it. My public needs me. <laughs> My public needs me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yep, she's gone. She's gone full hoochie mama. <laughs> just like, just like, just like Minnie Mouse when she first started out. Oh man. It's pretty interesting. Actually, Fievel kind of ruined it. Like, all she, all he had to do was just wait for her to go home for the day, you know? But he also didn't know that Catterwall pro- was probably going to spare her from the mass genocide. Yeah, and probably not. <laughs> I, I had forgotten. I had forgotten. I was like, does Miss Kitty know about the giant mousetrap and the mouse burgers? Is she just... Is she going to tell Tanya about this? But she didn't She didn't know either. She was another another innocent player, another innocent victim in the scheme. Of course. It's always the talented ones that are the innocent. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some other memorable moments oh we got to talk about tiger we have to talk about tiger oh man yes. uh tiger is even better in this film like he's amazing he was pretty awesome in this film i think one of my favorite parts is at, right after he has been dubbed the tiger god um i love how when it's just him he just ends up still talking to the camera and like joking around with you the audience as the camera <laughs> Yeah, those are uh, Greek asides, I believe you call them. Beggar's Opera in freshman year in high school, and we had a lot of asides. But anyway, uh, Tiger's uh, character arc is pretty kooky, and I like how he actually turned out to be a, <laughs> a major player at the end. Like, yeah. apparently, he was, apparently he was the guy that they needed to train to be a dog, not Fievel. Like, Fievel is just a bystander. He's like Mad Max, and Tiger is Furiosa. Like, yeah, this really isn't Fievel's story. It's very story. interesting how they shit. It isn't Fievel's story. Fievel messes a lot of things up, actually. he's Well, he's the one that kind of Fievel progresses the pest. plot along, but it's not his story. Would you say he keeps the plot rolling, rolling, rolling? Keep that plot point rolling. <laughs> Rawhide. Rawhide. Yeah, apparently that was the that was the version sung in the Blues Brothers, and Steven Spielberg's voice is actually in it. And what? He, he, yeah, Steven. So that version, that song, Rawhide, is the is the version that Dan Aykroyd and the other guy sang in um, Blues Brothers. Was it Blues oh, Brothers? Funny. Or am I yeah. or am I totally tripping? No, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. great. And Steven Spielberg <laughs> actually lent his voice a little bit to that recording. I don't know which, which one is, is his voice. You'd have to kind of look, probably look it up. That's a little known fact right there. <laughs> that is a little known fact that you can just look up on Wikipedia or IMDb. <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> oh yeah don't, don't get me wrong, folks. We're, we do our homework. We don't just know these things. So anyway, <laughs> I love Tiger's story arc, but was, was I the only one who was a little freaked out when I was in kindergarten and I saw when the moonlight hits the face of the grinning uh, stone monument? It's really, it's really creepy. I thought it was really creepy. It's just like creepy grinning face that I was not prepared for it when I was a kindergartner. <laughs> and then um, I, re- I, I remember the little chief popping out. Poof, you know, very, yeah. some, some nice squash and stretch there. One of the principles of animation. And uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. And it's kind of like um, it's kind of like oh, I also remember in kindergarten the um, the squaw coming up and you and and thinking about how she's going to use her his fur his tail for a fur coat. He's like he's like ma'am, ma'am, that's that's still attached to me. And I I just think that Dom DeLuise does such a great job with like kind of the um, 
the blubbering kind of weakling fool guy. Like he's he's the guy who's trying to to fast talk his way out of everything, you know. And he's got the okay, 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 you know how Dom DeLuise does it. You know what I'm talking about. I like I liked his role as Kusa Magoopa Goop in Dexter's Laboratory. That was one of my favorites. Chelsea, if you got something to say, you got to unmute that mic. Maybe I lost her. All right, I'll just keep talking. I ain't scared. I thought it was really funny how the little the little native mice they are totally not afraid of the hawk and they'll just attack it head on. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's like the best part of the film because um oh Chelsea just left the broadcast. Oh no. Um we're gonna wait a little while for Chelsea to get back on the broadcast. Again, Chelsea is in Iguazu Falls in South America. That's literally the middle of the jungle. Trust me, I've been there. And um so you can't expect the Wi Fi to be as pristine as it is here in Aggie Land. So anyway, I really love that they uh, they totally attack the hawk, and then like moments later, they're bringing in like a cooked bird on a dish. It's like <laughs> ah, they got the hawk. Anyway, Whew. man, I, I there's nothing to talk about without Chelsea. Let's see. Um, I really li- I think it's really interesting because a lot of the artwork looks very unrefined. With the animation, like some of the cell work, maybe it just shows its age and like the the copy that I the digital copy that I watched, or whatever. But I really like like all the background paintings and all the stuff. Like you can see that one um, that that one rock formation in Monument National, like Monument Valley, out in Utah. Like in, in every shot, they like to put it in there. So, let's see. All right, who wants to hear me do uh do an impersonation of Wiley Burp, huh? Anybody in the chat want me to do some some James Stewart? Uh, I'm going to try to do my best. <clears throat> Let's see. He's got a lot of great monologues in the film. I like the one where Fievel first meets him and he's like sleeping. I like that Wiley Burp is just sleeping the whole time. He's like sleeping the whole movie. <laughs> and it takes him forever to, to, to wake up. So anyway, <clears throat> let's see. See if I can do some some James Stewart here. Let the sleeping dog lie, son. Doggone it, I'm dog tired. Ah, I'm screwing it up. He's like, I'm tired of leading the dogs laughing. Fighting like cats and dogs against cats and dogs. Young pups dogging my trail tried to become the top dog. I don't know. Maybe that's a little too much Western flair. But uh, I like how they have this monologue with... uh, with the uh, you know Wiley Burp, and he basically has like, I don't know. This is the one monologue that has like fifty dog puns in in the course of like thirty seconds. It's amazing. I don't know if I if I revert back to my one line that I know really well from James Stewart, where he's like, "You dirty rat, you." Where he's like, "I'm I'm going to the dogs in a dog eat dog world, son. I'm far over the hill. I'm on the bottom of the other side." Something like that. I don't know. James Stewart was pretty good and uh, got that iconic voice. So I love how Tiger is such a diva when Wiley Burp is training him to be a dog. For one, I don't know why Fievel can't be the dog. Like, what's wrong with Fievel being the dog? What's wrong with him being, you know, the little sheriff's deputy? Then uh, Wiley Burp could uh, be like, (laughs) Mason should solo Little Mermaid 2 and Cinderella 2. Yeah, I, I really should. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, 
I digress. See, I go all over the place when you just like I'm I'm literally on the podcast just talking to myself, guys. This is hard for me when I'm left alone and I don't have I don't have Chelsea and Morgan to bounce off of. So y'all just bear with me and uh be patient for me. So anyway, um Tiger is such a diva. Like he's used to being a god, you know. I, I like Fievel's line, anyone can be a god, but not everyone. It takes someone special to be a dog. I'm like, huh? <laughs> but anyway. This is a very kooky film. It's not to be taken seriously. So anyway, uh, Tiger is really a diva when uh, Wiley Burp is training him. You know, he's got, you know, I don't have to do this. But Wiley Burp, uh, he really ups the intensity. Like, he really wants him to to learn how to be a good dog. And um, I also remember from the previews for this film, because I've seen, I've seen the preview for, uh, or the trailer for Five Goes West, like, several times. And uh, one thing I remember is, the lazy eye. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I love it. Whoa, Chelsea's back, everybody. I am so sorry. <laughs> That's Whew. we had to we reset the internet here, so hopefully we'll be better. Chelsea reset the internet. She called Brazil and was like, <laughs> Hey Batos, reset the internet for all of Brazil. We're doing the podcast here. We we got important things to do here. We're we're doing the Five Goes West episode. Come on, reset the internet. <laughs> I was just talking about the lazy eye, and I tr- I tried to do one of Wiley Burp's soliloquies as James Stewart, but I just I don't know. My James Stewart is too weak. The let sleeping dogs lie one. Let the sleeping dog lie, son. Oh my um, gosh, I love it. How many dog puns can you fit into one monologue? <laughs> that was the I, those writers had a real heyday. Yeah, they really did. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, yeah, the lazy eye part. I bet they had a lot of fun with it. I bet they were dog tired. You should have been in on that one. <clears throat> so anyway, the training montage, we've got the lazy eye. Right. And um, as a Southerner and as someone who spent time in the West, I have no idea what the lazy eye is and why it has this power over your enemies. So we're just going to drink the Kool-Aid and move on. <laughs> but nothing like well, playing a little Copland or is it Copeland or Copland? You know, the beef it's what's for dinner song. Y'all don't even remember that. Y'all remember that? <laughs> Beef it's what's for dinner. <laughs> yes, I do. I mean, no, I'm not that old. Is that Copland or Copeland? I have no idea, actually. Who cares? I'm reading this from a script. Um, <laughs> nothing like play, like a training montage with like super Wild West music and stuff. And in the end, Tiger turns into the dog. It's pretty great. And... um. He's getting pretty much into it, but he's a real softy. So, um, I of course I love a good um, I love a good standoff, Mexican or otherwise, and I love a good western. No, a, Mexi- a Mexican standoff. You know what that is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mexican standoff is where the three people have the the guns, and so you have one gun trained on each person, uh-huh. and you don't know what's going to happen. You know, who's going to? You go could first? catch someone monologuing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, there's the, the most famous one is in The Good and Bad and the Ugly with uh, Clint Eastwood. So anyway, um, the final battle is pretty good, actually. I love how this film is, it works, the animators worked very hard to not have any actual killings. There's right, only right. one actual, there's only one firearm in the whole movie. Really? Fully functioning firearm that's not in a fantasy sequence. Yeah, and that's the one, that's the giant one, the human-sized one that Catterwall has at the end. Huh. He's got it on a swivel, man. He's just got a, like a, He's got like a Colt single action or something, or like a 32 or something. And, um, <coughs> sorry, 38. Everyone else has like little pop guns, 
like in the VHS cover. Yeah. Or they have a slingshot. And I'm like, props to Rango for having actual firearms. Come on. <laughs> well, and, um, these are animals making these. So it's not like they... Yeah. <laughs> it's it's rated G, so we got we to gotta keep the gun violence down. Unfortunately. But uh, it's still pretty entertaining because he's got that slingshot and he's deadly accurate with it. Until the little tiny cat shows up with, like, the Gatling gun slingshot <laughs> and stuff. And then the, the only thing left to do is do the lazy eye. And um, it definitely psyched him out, you know. Well, and, it's kind um, of like in, it's like in the the panda movies where he's got his skadoosh. Oh, Kung Fu Panda? Yeah. Oh, that's his skadoosh. Yeah, so the lazy, the lazy, the lazy eye eyes is, was is the, the original skadoosh. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good, uh reference there yeah that's a good connection so my favorite part and probably the best thing to watch is when tiger tiger sees that miss kitty is in danger and then he goes totally ko ken on everyone <laughs> and he i mean he goes straight to super saiyan level three and it's pretty amazing to watch i i love it and uh you know you know where this film could have gone the route where? it could have gone it could have like had the cats be afraid of tiger at first and then they realize that he's a dog. He's not a dog. That he's actually a cat. Like his ears shrink back, you know, or something like that. Or he, whatever. And then Miss Kitty could be like, you lied to me. You're not a real dog. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that dog? Yeah. And then uh, Tiger would be exiled. And then he would have to meet the spirit of the West who tells him, nowadays they've got a name for just about everything. Doesn't matter what they called you. It's the deeds make the dog. <laughs> I have no That's idea what they what should you... do with it. Is that a Rango? It's reference? from Rango. It's from it's the end of Rango. It's my favorite part of Rango, where Rango meets the Spirit of the West, oh, and it's just yes. Clint Eastwood, voiced by um, um, that one, voiced by that one guy from Longmire. Mason, you Timothy realize Oliphant. the last time I watched Rango was four years ago, episode Holy three. <laughs> the lack of appreciation for one of the greatest <laughs> animated films of all time here. Oh my Let's gosh. hear it for Rango. Anyway. <laughs> so I I like it. I like it. And then at the end, it's it's really interesting because Fievel, he gets to be the deputy, right? He gets uh -huh. to be um, Wiley Burp's deputy. But maybe he's the new Wiley Burp because Wiley Burp, he's ready to, to head for the hills. You know, he's ready to go out to pasture, if you will. He's getting long in the tooth, to quote Billy Joe Shaver. Just and, remember... Um, one man's sunset is another man's dawn. One man's sunset is another man's dawn. I don't know what's out there beyond those hills, but if you ride yonder, head up, eyes steady, heart open, think that one day you'll find that you're the hero you've been looking looking for. Mm, mm, the feels, folks. The feels. He does such a good job delivering every one of his little soliloquies. I'm just like, oh, man. I wish Jimmy you're Stewart good. would have done more cowboy, more Western roles. He I think he would have done a fantastic job at it. But he got one in, you know, the most yeah. important one, Wiley Burt, the role <laughs> of the century. So. <laughs> All right, which one do we like better, American Tale 1 or American Tale 2, Fievel Goes West? Oh, I want to hear, uh, hear what the chat people say. There's All still right. people watching, right? Yeah, we've got 10 viewers. We're good. Sweet. Um, I'm going to say definitely I love Fievel Goes West number two. The number two, the best. I thought that the the storyline of this one was a lot more seamlined. Um, it actually, really? all the yeah, I've wait. I just remember seamless it, or streamlined because streamlined. Seamlined <laughs> is a cool, kind of a cool word. It's like streamlined and seamless all in one word. 
Yeah. Well, the longer I'm in Brazil, the less I know either language. So, oh, honey, don't even get me started. <laughs> so, um, I think it's a lot more streamlined. I feel like each one of the characters, the the character arcs were a lot more defined for a lot of them. Um, yeah. And I feel like there were there's just a lot of so many funny little things, and I feel like the songs were better. So. That's why I one? think, yeah. So I think that's why I like Five Goes West more. Wow. So Chelsea likes Five Goes West. Let's see. Turquoise comment. The first, it's a classic. Uh, Matthew Latham, number one. Cassidy Wang, number one. Uh, Jeremiah. Well, there's basically no story in the first one. So, I mean, there is, <laughs> there is, but no one, no one plot thread lasts longer than 10 minutes. Boy, if that isn't true. That's very so true. So instead we've got like three, three 30 minute or three 25 minute or three 20 minute plot lines. Um, okay, so that's interesting. I personally like Five Goes West better because um, guns and because Wild <laughs> West and because cowboys. And uh, think... you put all those three together and you've basically got 310 to Yuma, which is one of my favorite films. And <laughs> anyway, there's actually very little gunplay in this, in, this, in this movie. Rated G for slingshot violence. <laughs> Rated S. Um, no, let's, let's, um, let's, I got a, we got a roto confession here. Okay. I don't think we've ever told you guys about this, but we once got severe hate mail, like a severe, like very angry, hateful voicemail from someone that we, we never aired it. Cause it was just, it was just bashing us and it, very insulting to us. And, um, we decided not to air it, but the guy basically ranted about how we rate the films on the podcast. <laughs> And he was like, he was like, you gave, um, what was it? You gave Nightmare Before Christmas a three out of three and a half out of five stars, but you gave Goofy Movie a five a star five. rating akin to akin to God with the Wind. You gave it a five star rating, and he bashed us so hard for that. And I wanted to be like, bro, like this is where the points don't matter. We're like, this is like that one. What's that one show? Whose line is it anyway? Whose line like, is it anyway? We don't we don't take our ratings seriously and they're very subjective. That's the point of ratings. And also like we like we definitely go the nostalgia route for the ones that we're the most nostalgic about, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, this We're is, not critics. I, I don't pretend to be analytical at all. But uh yeah, the guy was like tis blasphemy. <laughs> Got really offended that I think it was Morgan who rated it 5 stars just cuz just cuz you and Chelsea grew up with it, you know, it was a big part of your childhood. Who cares? Yeah. You know, but anyway, uh, we'll get into the ratings in a second, but I enjoyed Five Will Goes West because of the simple things like, like I love Don Bluth and I love his, his stuff and, um, you know, uh, I'm rooting for him on, um, freaking Dragon's Lair. I got my, um, I, I, I paid, I did my payment to their Kickstarter and so I got this sweet, um, Dragon's Lair autographed postcard sweet. and I, I got my autographed cell from nice. Secret of Nim. Oh, with uh, awesome. Read and Weep, uh, Gary Goldman and Don Bluth. Did I get them twisted? Yeah. Okay. Gary Goldman over here. Don Bluth over here. Um, and I've got this very awkward, very heartbreaking pose from <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Nimsby and uh, <laughs> and whoever that fool is. What's his name? Um, but anyway, I am the proud owner of these relics, and so I love Don Bluth. But Five Goes West is just better in my opinion. Oh, I yes, love it for sure. Yeah, compared, no. to, to, compared to American Tale 1, I can barely get through American Tale. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
I also am a huge, huge supporter of Mr. Bluth. I will be receiving my um, All Dogs Go to Heaven cell at any day, I'm sure. Um, so I'm su- super excited about that. But I, I do like this one better just because it does feel a lot more streamlined. It does feel a lot more... Seamlined. Seamlined. Was it, was it seamlined or streamless? <laughs> nah, streamless <laughs> would Streamless describes you right now with your crappy internet. Right, uh, right, right. <laughs> seamlined is uh i like seamlined i'm gonna start using it now because in visualization we use words like streamlined and seamless and synergy all the time so mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway that's why i liked this movie more than the original um and then once again i am a sucker for the songs and as i mean the songs were really great in the first i just felt like they put it up a notch and there's yeah. a lot more that I can sing in this one. So, there. Yeah. yeah. As far as overall ratings go, um, I I mean, I could just go with my gut of, not with necessarily my gut, but like with my total nostalgic and give it a four stars for the, just on nostalgia ratings. Um, I, I mean, looking at it as like a film all in all, it's going to be about a three-ish on like, if you're going to be the critic type. But as far as like overall enjoyment, I still get a four star value out of this. I would say. What would I give Five Goes West? I don't know. I'll give it two and a half out of five stars. <laughs> it's not get that a... great. No, it's not. <laughs> but I like it more than American Tale. I wonder what I rated. I wonder if anyone knows what I rated American Tale one. Uh, it would take work to go back. <laughs> it, it would, and I don't. And we're live. We're moving forward. <laughs> we'll do it live. Two and a, two and a half stars for me. Cool. All right, let's move on to voicemails. Ooh, voicemails. Do you want me to play them, Chelsea? I am prepared this time. Woohoo, I've got yes, my, my tablet here. I'm excited, and yes. And my audio cable. We do have yeah. quite a oh, y'all, few y'all voicemails that came in. So we got a lot of Roto veterans calling in today. We got one, two, three, four, five. And we've got a new one at the end, uh, someone I've never heard before. So this first one is from Brandon with a question about Kubo. Hello, this is Brandon Smith, back again with another voicemail and an actual question this time. I guess, I mean, I don't know, I guess you can call this a bit of a touchy subject. Kubo and the Two Strings has been getting, let's call it criticism in some circles, for having a very talented uh, but mostly white voice cast play Japanese characters or characters that could be read as Japanese. Um, I want to get your thoughts on that because voice acting is a very different thing from actual acting you know you're not in front of a camera you're in front of a microphone and you're using your voice to bring a certain character to life in that area the argument of whether or not a voice actor should be the same race or ethnicity as the character they're playing that can be kind of a gray area so i want to get your thoughts on that that's it once again i'll see you later Thank you, Brandon. All right, what's your take on it? So so my take originally and still is I don't care. 
Um, I don't think that it, it's really that big of a deal, honestly, because I think about it like, okay, if I am doing a, as a voice actor, I should be able to close my eyes and think of a character. Now, if that yeah. means that this pr- character has an accent, then that character should have an accent. But if that means if it doesn't necessarily require an accent, then I don't care. As long as I'm able to look at a character and think this is what that character is and whatnot, then, then I feel like it's fine. Because if you look, if, when, if this is, this was actually a comment that was put on the Rotoscopers uh, Facebook page um, a yeah. couple days ago that said, um, one comment I really liked, it said, hey, it's going to get dubbed anyway. You know, when it goes to Japan, it'll get dubbed oh, by a Japanese. Yeah. And so anywhere it goes, it's going to get dubbed in that. So I really, I think it's, honestly, I think it's made too much of a deal. And yes, I understand that people can feel like, actually, no, it's just because I have this friend and this friend and whatever. It's Hollywood people. I mean, how, where else are you going to find a place Hollywood. where it's <laughs> where it's okay to say, actually, no, you're too fat for this role. I mean, that's just what it is. So Unless you're in a sorority. <laughs> yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which I can joke about because Shanna was in a sorority. So I'm okay. good. I'm good. <laughs> you're, you're good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, that's, that's my long-winded, short-winded phrase. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I second that. Um, I really don't care. In a perfect world, people like, in a perfect world, people would not be so offended at everything. It's true. But here's the ugly truth that everyone seems to forget about Hollywood. Hollywood is a very dirty business, and they work off of stereotypes. Uh-huh. They work off of generalizations. Uh-huh. And their success is driven by the art form and the star power. Yes. And uh, and sometimes you have to put the star power in. Um, Memoirs of a Geisha. Did anyone see that? I did. So Memoirs of a Geisha is about Japanese culture, and all the main characters were played by Chinese actresses. That I would have a problem with. Because that's basically that's it's kind of like a movie about a samurai, but having an American actor as a samurai. Oh wait, we did that too. So <laughs> it happens all the time, and there are instances when yes, I do think it's kind of inappropriate. But for animation, the localization will always have local actors, and sometimes they are the celebrities of that realm that they are being translated that with the, where the localization is being made. So what's the problem? And it's interesting because when I when I did my 100 voices for animation impersonations uh, video, and I I made a joke at the end, which wasn't even an original joke. It was that one dude from from BYU who who was a comedian for like two seconds. Um, <laughs> his joke about it's so weird that Aladdin is is Arab. He's from Arabia, but he has the voice of uh, like a white guy from California, you know. And when his voice should really sound like this, and um, I got a little, I got a lot of flack, and I was actually called racist on 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 that YouTube video for tr- for trying to project an Arab voice onto um, Aladdin. And so it's like, will people be satisfied either way? The point, I think that people will just get offended no matter what. So long story short, I don't care either. Um, <laughs> I do think in some instances, like Memoirs of a Geisha, it is culturally insensitive to do so. But I think in animation, like Chelsea said, it's about the character and it should be about the character, not the celebrity behind it. 
But Sing is coming out, so I don't really know what to <laughs> oh do there. Oh my gosh! Well, no. When you have animals, it's it's fair game. Yeah. Who but who I the mean, heck cares? But with, Kubo had actually human actual human characters. And and I can see a lot of people going back and forth on your on your argument here, saying, well, actually, you know, these were Japanese culture, so that is insensitive. And I get that, but in once again, for me, I mean, you're only going to be hearing the voice anyway. For the longest time, you didn't know what any of us looked like. Before we had the YouTube channel, for, and that was like a year after we had... <laughs> it was like a year after we started the podcast. Nobody had any idea what we looked like at all. And then it was like once there, it was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea what you looked like. Well, yeah, I wouldn't expect you to. Um, it's all about the voice. But it's now about, it's all about the mug. <laughs> it's all about Mason's mug. Um, at that point in time, you project whatever you want to see on a voice. And so it doesn't really matter unless that voice has a colloquial um, accent to it. Yeah. I, I mean, eventually we'll do Pocahontas and we'll have a nice big discussion about cultural insensitivity. <laughs> <clears throat> and how uh, how Disney, uh, Disney and all the animation industry is guilty of it. Because animation is based off of stereotypes. Like in order for something to communicate, you have to generalize, but I digress. That's like, that's a whole nerdy cops discussion, a whole different episode. But anyway, very good question, Brandon. Very good voicemail. Let's play the next one. This was, is by Hannah. Hannah. Hey, Hannah. <laughs> Did I get my package in the mail? I don't know. What do you mean? You don't know. I don't know. Hi, Rotoscopers. This is Hannah calling. Given now we live in the age where films such as Sausage Party and Anomalisa have come out, do you feel since you guys started a perception of, oh, animation is equals cartoons, therefore it's kids, has kind of shifted? I know it kind of really hasn't changed in my family, but it was just a question I had. Okay. Mason, congratulations on your DreamWorks stuff. Uh, Morgan, congratulations for your bundle of joy. And Chelsea, just keep on yodeling. Thanks for being awesome. Hey, and Chelsea, no, no congratulations. Just keep yodeling. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Chelsea has a lot to be congratulated about. <laughs> come on. Um, come on, yes. So her actual question, do we feel like the... Uh, perception of cartoons are just for kids has shifted at, in any way. And I'm going to say no. I don't think it has. I think for those niche audiences that have watched those, I think they would have watched them either way. And I think uh -huh. that people would will watch, you know, Five Goes West either way. Those movies did a good job of playing to their audience. And these movies do a good job of playing to their audience. There, I feel like there's more of an audience with the kids or at least it's more of a long-standing audience, so it hasn't shifted. Hey, Morgan Mason and Chelsea, it's Mark. I hear you guys are uh, doing the An American Tale of Five Goes West, and I'm looking forward to hearing your uh, opinion on that. I saw that movie years and years ago when I was younger, and I saw it before I saw An American Tale. So I can't really remember it much. All I remember is, you know, Jimmy Stewart as the canine sheriff. And that brings me to my question for today. If you could pick any classic Hollywood actor or actress to have done a voice role in an animated film, 
who has never done a voice role in an animated film, who would it be? You know, for me, I would, I think Gregory Peck would have made a, a great voice actor. And I know they wanted him, uh, in Pocahontas to voice the river before they decided not to go with that character. So yeah, just wondering which voice actor, which Hollywood actor and actress you guys would have wanted to be a voice actor. Look forward to hearing your responses. Bye. So Mark's question was, if you could take any live actor or actress who has not starred in an animated film yet, who would you pick to start an animated film? Okay. Let's see. You know, there's a lot of most, I feel like most of the, the ones that I would pick have already starred. So that's one that I would have to look really deep into and it would end up being a nobody really. Cause all of the big people I feel have, don't you? Yeah. The entire cast of Arrested Development, I think. Yeah. Is it has been an animation. Even Lucille, who is my favorite character. Yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think he should be in an animated film. Yeah? Well, all right. You should I'm call here him. To, I'm here to lead, not to read. <laughs> Often imitated, but never yes. replicated. Exactly. Yeah. I think that Harrison Ford would be pretty good in animation. That'd be kind of fun. I feel like he has, though. Yeah? Has I Harrison Ford been in? Carrie Fisher, know. you can leave out. You can leave her in the loony bin. Mark <laughs> Hamill has done a lot of voice work. Oh, yes. He is the Joker, in my mind. Yeah. Hi, Rotoscopers. It's Rachel. So I'm excited to hear what you guys think about American Tale, Five of Goes West. Uh, this is one that I think is a cute little movie. I, I think it was probably my introduction to Westerns as a kid. Uh, but I don't know. I just enjoy it. It's, you know, Jimmy Stewart is so fun. And, and uh, I can recognize its flaws as an adult, but I still enjoy it. And I love the song dreams to dream. I think it is so pretty. I actually sang it for a recital uh, once and uh, I just think it's a really pretty song by the late James Horner and uh, you can hear the version by Linda Ronstadt and uh, so yeah that's kind of my thoughts so I'll be curious to hear what you think. Thanks for your thoughts Rachel. Thanks for your thoughts there Rachel. Alright. <laughs> this last one is from Rose. Hi Rose Bopers. I'm I just saw an American Tale and I thought it was good. I really enjoyed how how it was like the immigrants came to America, and I like the themes they touched on, like child labor. That was really surprising. I didn't expect them to go there. But for the rest of them, I thought it was just good. I loved I loved all the characters, and the songs were nice. Except I think one felt out of place, but most of them most of them worked well with the story. And I think my favorite part was definitely um, Taiho. I think they say him. I love that character. He was like just like the best, like cutest, like animated character. Uh, I, I really enjoyed an American Tale. I'd probably give it three and a half stars. Thank you. Oh, man. Exhausting episode. We've been battling uh, the jungle Wi-Fi that Chelsea is in. Like, seriously, <laughs> Chelsea is in a bamboo hut right now, and uh, she's got her tiny little Wi-Fi router, and there's monkeys throwing coconuts at her, <laughs> and uh, centipedes are all crawling around her like uh, It's, King it's Kong. amazing how, how much I was able to get out of such Sh- She's know, dodging vintage. poison arrow darts. <laughs> You know, I just got off the river. Literally, I just got off of uh, Iguazu Falls today. So, oh, you just you just took the falls down. I just, yeah, I just jumped off. Yeah. Pocahontas <laughs> style. 
Yeah, yeah if she did that it. down the devil's throat, she would like never come back. <laughs> she would just clip through the bottom of the earth and come back the other side like Pac-Man. <laughs> yes. Anyway. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening in during this uh, very technically difficult episode. We promise that Morgan will be back soon. She's doing a lot of work for her company right now, and she's bogged down, so we want to give her the space that she needs to balance that part of her life. But she sends her love and her appreciation for all of our listeners and our patriot, our patrons. Can we just say yes, for sure. that the Roto Nation, while a ragtag bunch of misfits, is the, great, is the greatest, <laughs> are. Is the greatest viewer base and fan, and, and fan base that, that ever lived because they're so cool. And um, because of all the support that we get from our patrons. So when we started our Patreon, uh, we planned on hopefully getting enough contributions to start this video chat stuff. Um, we would like to eventually do a once a week news podcast. It is coming. We just, we're waiting to reach that level. If you are interested in uh, contributing to uh, the podcast or the website or whatever, you can go to rotoscopers.com slash patron or rotoscopers.com slash Patreon to learn more about how you can support our show. And um, we just want to thank everybody who has lent their support and for everyone in the chat um, who's been making it such a great um, episode for us, helping us uh, with material to use because uh, our our, do- our document was like five lines this episode. We were just winging it the whole time. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> anyway. Well, well, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. This is episode 131, people. For show notes, links, and more, go to www.rotoscopers.com slash 131. And be sure to comment and leave your reviews, your thoughts, and your opinions. Like all of the contributions and all the engagement that we have with you lets us know that y'all still like us and still want to listen to us. So um, please participate. Um, we are uh, Rotoscopers is on Twitter. Uh, when tweeting about this episode, you can use the hashtag AnimAddicts or AnimAddicts131. If you want to send a voicemail and somebody on the chat was wondering how to do voicemail, go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails or call 406-646-6575. That's 406-646-ROTO. You can also um, support the show by going to rotoscopers.com slash Amazon to join Chelsea in the Amazon. Just kidding. But if you want some of her authentic camping gear and hiking gear because she is (laughs) literally out in the in the jungle with the machete fighting off the Guarani and their poison darts and poison arrows and stuff, then you can go on amazon.com, start your free trial. Rotoscopers.com slash audible is where you can get your free audible trial. Like audible is only the place to get all of your audio books. And um, <clears throat> we also have a store rotoscopers.com slash store. We can get roto swag like I'm wearing right now. And um, seriously, our shirts are so discounted by now. It's we're paying you to take them away. It's all about volume, folks. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher Radio. If you love the show, then please leave feedback. Give us that five-star rating. Keep us us going. Uh, We're on Hypable. We're on Animated Views. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. So if you want to uh, follow the the radiant Morgan Stradling, you can follow her at Morgan Stradling on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Uh, At Chelsea Robson to follow the lovely and talented Chelsea on Twitter. She also has uh, ChelseaRobson.com as her website. You can sample her music, find mm-hmm. out when she is playing near you, performing near you. I'm a little more complicated. My Twitter, uh, I don't have a Twitter anymore, actually. My Instagram handle is at MasonSMTX. With, with the fall semester starting, I'm starting animation classes, so I'm taking an anima- a- advanced animation class. I'll be doing my own 30-second animated short. Ooh. 
Yeah, so I, I will be posting my progress on it on my blog, which is thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com, kind of a playoff of This American Life that you listen to on NPR, if you're a snob. And thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com <laughs> is where you can find all of my works in progress. I just put a storyboard up yesterday for a new short that I'm doing called Space Feratu. It's about a vampire in space. I mean... Sweet. Yeah. I mean, the story about rights itself. Pretty much. <laughs> and I've already got my character sheets and stuff. I'm going to start modeling and rigging soon, I suppose. We love you guys, and thank you so much for sticking with us for this episode. Chelsea, do you have anything else to say? I think we about wrapped it up. Yeah, also, if you're just you know throwing it out there one more time, you didn't mention my Snapchat, you can go to Chelsea M. Robson and check me out on Snapchat there. I have been posting a couple, about a minute or so a day of, of footage of my trip. So definitely place to go also the next episode we are going to be doing storks storks we're probably going to be recording that the first week of october because i will be back in my hometown and we'll have better internet access is my hope so that's the movie that's coming up next so make sure to support your local animation theater that hosts animated films (laughs) by going to see the movie storks just so that we can talk about it we're gonna have a great time and until next time, we, we are the Rotoscopers. We're the top-rated animation podcast on iTunes, though. Or at least in our minds. We are, we're though, at least in our good. minds. I mean, we're pretty, we're, pretty, we're pretty dang good. Hold on. iTunes, Animation Addicts. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're still... Anyway, you can report a I concern. I think we're pretty though. good, but... My concern is that we're we're too attractive. Everybody's going to be jumping in and saying, "Actually, actually," so, but it's okay. You have a four point nine 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 rating. You're not perfect. I internet Caillou. Caillou. I internet Voto. Tres or days. Tá. Um, dois, três. Ah, tá.